Welcome to the Amherst Wesleyan Church Sermon Podcast. Specifically today, we're looking at the thing that brings all these feasts together. And what we're going to see as we examine the tabernacle is we are going to see Jesus in all the different components and all the different elements and all the different ways in the tabernacle. And there is a lot packed into the tabernacle, so many different elements. And so we're going to kind of run through these a little bit quickly. And hopefully by the end of this, you'll go, oh, there's Jesus. I see it. It's super clear and obvious to me. So, The very first thing that there was with the tabernacle was there was a fence. And I have a fence right here. Also, by the way, this this model is completely to scale and fully accurate, okay? All right. There was a fence built around the perimeter of the tabernacle. And this was there to keep those who were not permitted in from getting in. It was to keep people out. You see, the tabernacle was this holy place, this, this thing that was so reverent. The instructions God gave the Israelites were so important that they couldn't even approach it without being sure that they were the right person to approach it. So there was a fence. It was to keep people out. And so if you were a priest or a Levite or a man, you were allowed to go through the gate, uh oh. <laughs> I was worried that was going to happen. There we go. All right. <laughs> All right. One sec. There we go. Okay, now we're in. We're in. So if you were a child, if you were a woman, if you were a foreigner, so a non Jew, you were not allowed to go through the gate and be inside of what is called the inner court. And so now I'm inside the inner court. I'm no longer on the outside. And what would happen is the Jews were instructed to always bring sacrifices to atone for their sin. And typically these were animals. And so I have up here a perfect unblemished lamb, which is what it had to be. There might be some drool on it though, so it might have a little blemish to it. But they were required to bring an animal sacrifice to present to the priests. And this was to be slaughtered, and its blood was to atone for the sins of the people. And so the lamb was brought, and it was slain, and it was placed on. <sighs> Check the safety before you start. It was placed on what was called a bronze altar, and I have a propane barbecue to kind of represent that. Sorry, Clara, we're sacrificing your toys up here this morning. The animal was brought to the priest. It was slaughtered, and its blood was collected by the priest, and that would be the atonement for sin. And then the carcass of the animal would be placed on what was called the bronze altar, which was kind of like a barbecue anyway, and it would be roasted, and the meat would be consumed by the priests. 
After that, the priest would then have to go to what was called the bronze laver, which was like a big bowl of water. And I don't know if you can see that, but here it is here. And the priest would have to take water and wash themselves from head to toe. And this was to cleanse themselves before entering into the tabernacle to take the blood to the altar where it would be given to God. And so now that I'm washed up and I'm cleansed, I'm able to take the blood and enter into the tabernacle. And it would be in here that the priests would perform their duties with all the various elements in the tabernacle. All right. I'm going to stand out here for the rest of this, but pretend I'm still standing inside the tabernacle. This would be things that you wouldn't be able to see otherwise, but for this purpose, I will demonstrate. So after the priests had been cleansed and they had taken the blood into the tabernacle, they would do their ministry in there, and there would be four different things that they had to do and participate in. The first one was that they had to light what was called the oh, golden lampstand. So I have a flashlight here to kind of represent that. It was like a giant candle that they had to light. And this represented the light that God gives us. In Genesis, when God says, let there be light, this a uh, golden lampstand was to be a reminder of the fact that God is our source of light. This one's also a laser pointer, so I gotta turn it off in my palm. They didn't have laser pointers back then, don't worry. After they had lit the golden lampstand and had light within the tabernacle, they then went to the table of showbread. And I have a loaf of bread here to represent that. This is not gluten-free, so I can't eat it. I stole it from Olivia's side of the cupboard. So. And they would go to the table of showbread, and there would be 12 loaves that represented all 12 tribes of Israel. And the priests would eat the bread and be reminded of God's provision. That would be the second thing they would do. The third thing they would do is they would go to what is called the altar of incense. And I don't know if you've ever been in a, maybe a, a Catholic church, but they still kind of do this. They will light incense to fill the sanctuary. And incense is this pleasing aroma that fills the space that you breathe in and smell. And it reminds us of God's presence. So... Good. And you would breathe it in and be reminded of God's presence. And so the priest would burn incense each day, and this not only represented God's presence, but it was also a way of symbolizing prayer, that our prayers go up to heaven, the way that the, the sense will go and fill and rise in the place. And so they would light the golden lampstand, they would eat of the bread on the table of showbread, they would light the altar of incense, 
And then the final thing they would do, but this would only happen once a year, and this would only be done by the high priest, and we, we kind of already learned about this. It was the Day of Atonement. The blood would be taken into the most holy place, which was separated by a veil. This is the best I could do for a veil. And so the veil would separate and make two different chambers, two different parts in the tabernacle. And so the priest could only go inside what was the holy place and light the golden lampstand and eat of the bread and light the incense. But only once a year could the high priest go past the veil and bring the blood and give it to God. I'll leave that there for a second. And inside the most holy place was something called the Ark of the Covenant. And this is a terrible demonstration of what it would look like. So I actually have a picture of this so that we can see it. There it is there. This is what the Ark of the Covenant would look like. And it was a box. It had poles on the sides so that the priest could carry it. And it had a cover over the top which was also called the mercy seat. Now, the Ark of the Covenant actually had three different objects inside of it. There was the tablet of the testimony. Oh, this is heavy. Which was like the tablets that God wrote the laws on and gave to Moses. The stone tablets. That would be one thing. The second thing in there would be a jar, which was full of manna. I don't have any manna at home, so it's just an empty jar. But it was a jar of manna. And if you think back to the story of the Israelites going through the desert, God provided manna from heaven. And they kept some in a jar, which was placed in the Ark of the Covenant as a reminder of God's provision. And then the last object that was inside the Ark of the Covenant was the staff of Aaron. Very accurate. Very accurate. To scale. And there's a story in the Old Testament about Aaron holding a staff and God doing a miracle where the staff budded and came to life. And to try and explain this a little bit, a staff, you have to understand, is a stick that is broken off from a tree And so it's therefore dead. But then God did this miracle where this dead stick came to life and budded. And it was still alive even though it was separate from where it originated from. And then finally, above the tabernacle was a pillar of fire By day and, or by night, and a cloud by day. And this guided the Israelites as they wandered through the desert. If the pillar of fire or smoke moved, everything else had to move. Any volunteers want to come dismantle that and shift it over a couple feet? (laughs) Thanks, Gordon. (laughs) We're not going to do that. But that's how that would work, is the pillar of fire... And the cloud would guide the Israelites through the desert. 
when it moved, the whole tabernacle had to be dismantled and moved, and the entire Israelite camp had to move. And so these are all the different elements and objects of the tabernacle and how they were used by the Israelites in the desert during that time. But here's the cool thing, is that each one of these elements actually pointed forward to Jesus. The fence represents our separateness from God. When we begin life, we are separate from God. Our sin separates us from God. But Jesus made a way. You notice that there is only one gate, one way to enter in to the tabernacle, not multiple. There's only one. And Jesus says in Matthew 7.35 to enter through the narrow gate. Jesus is proclaiming himself to be the gate of the fence for the tabernacle, that he is the way in that we can enter. And like I said earlier, you could only come in here if you were a priest or a man. Children, women, Gentiles, foreigners, no. But because of Jesus, now anyone can come in and enter in. The gate is open and available to us. I'm just getting started. The bronze altar. Right here, this barbecue-looking thing. Would point forward to the cross in which the perfect Lamb of God would be slain upon. John chapter 129 says that John the Baptist looked and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, the perfect Lamb whose blood was shed upon the cross so that you and I may be forgiven. Amen? The bronze laver, the water, would represent the purifying and cleansing that the blood of Jesus would do for us. He washes us white as snow. We are cleansed from our sin. It is removed from us completely. And it would also represent baptism, that we are to be baptized by Christ, baptized by the Holy Spirit, and we do the ritual of baptism through water still as a symbol of what he has already done in our lives. Once we enter into the inner court through the gate that is Christ and receive the blood that atones for us and are cleansed, we are then permitted to enter in to the tabernacle. You see, the tabernacle itself represented Jesus. It is said that he came and dwelt among us. And that word dwelt, when you actually look at the Greek in its original language, actually means he tabernacled among us. Jesus came and took on flesh, and he dwelt among us. You see, Jesus is 
the tabernacle as well, that we can be with him, that we can be close, close with him. He is not far away and removed from us. He is intimately close, and we can enter in and have that relationship with him. When we enter in, the golden lampstand represents the illumination of the Holy Spirit that comes upon us and gives us insight, gives us light. And Jesus also declares himself to be the light of the world and then says of us, you are the light of the world. You see, Jesus is the golden lampstand and he shares that with us. You see, the ministry that the priest did inside the tabernacle is something that now we share with Jesus today. We are the light of the world. He is the light of the world. We are all to be the light out in the darkness. The table of showbread. Jesus declared himself to be the bread of life. And it is his blood, his body, that we consume. When we take communion, what do we do? We eat bread, right? Represented of his body. This was pointing forward to his body being broken for us. He is the bread of life. It also represents the word of God which we are to feast on daily so that we can be instructed and guided through this life. The incense represents the fact that Christ is our mediator. Like I said earlier, it represented the prayers of the people lifting up their prayers to God, interceding for the people. But now Christ has come to be our intercessor who prays for us in the heavenly realm. And our prayers are done with Jesus. We are interceding for our community, for our families. He is interceding for us and for those things too. The veil. The veil separated the presence of God from the rest of what was happening in the holy place in the tabernacle. But when Jesus was crucified, it says in Matthew chapter 27, verse 51, that the veil was torn from top to bottom. There is no longer any separation between you and God. We not only have access to come into the inner court, we not only have access to go in the tabernacle, we have access to the most holy place because the veil has been torn. We have the most intimate, the closest, most proximate relationship possible with God through Jesus. There is nothing separating us anymore. The ark would be one of the first representations of the incarnation. It was believed by the Jewish people that the ark contained God. You ever hear the expression, you can't put God in a box? Right? They, they kind of tried that and it didn't work out. 
But it was believed that the ark was kind of the container for God. Wherever God went, there was God leading them. And Jesus came and took on flesh, and he was incarnate. And the ark pointed forward to that time. The three elements inside of the ark all represent different characteristics of who Jesus is. He is our lawgiver. He is our judge. He is the one true moral authority. The jar of manna represented his provision. God provides for us still today, amen? He provided for us his body, his blood. He is constantly providing for us. And the staff of Aaron would point forward to the resurrection of Jesus. See, Jesus was crucified, was laid in a tomb, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again. Amen? And the staff of Aaron shows us that. This dead stick came back to life when it was cut off, when it was separated from its source of life. And that's exactly what God does with Jesus. He raises him from the dead. The mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant, the the very top of the Ark, that little lid looked like a crown. And it pointed forward to the declaration that Jesus is the King of Kings. He wears the crown. He is the sovereign over the whole universe. No one is greater than he is. And then lastly, the pillar of fire and the cloud. I lost my lighter. I don't know where it went. You get the idea. God is still on the move. He is still calling us to move when he says move. To go when he says go. We are not to stay planted in one place forever. We are to go and bring his light, his gospel message to the world. And so when the pillar of fire or when the cloud moves, when God tells you to move, what do you do? You move. He is still at work. And so this is a lot of information. We're looking at all these different elements, and you might be like, cool. What do we do with it? Well, when we look at the tabernacle, we see Jesus more clearly. That's been my hope. That's been my prayer throughout this whole message, that you can see Jesus clearly through all of this, and that you can see what he is up to, what it is he wants from us. He wants relationship with us. He wants us to enter through the narrow gate. He wants us to receive the blood of his atonement. He wants to cleanse us from our sin. He invites us into the tabernacle where we can have the union with all the other saints and with him through prayer, through feasting, through the light, through his mercy, through his provision, through his law, 
and his resurrection. He wants all those things for us. And so it gives us this pattern for how we are to have a relationship with him. He invites us in. Some of you are here today, and you're still standing out here. You've not yet made a decision to follow Jesus. You are still separate from him by your sin. But he's made a way. He invites you in. He doesn't just invite you to come here and then stop. He invites you in here. He is calling us ever inward. C.S. Lewis said he calls us onward and upward, and I like that expression, but I think God calls us to move in with him. You have that decision before you today to move in with Jesus. To take that next step, whether that means accepting him for the very first time and coming in here, or maybe going deeper and saying, I'm all in, Jesus. I want in here. I want to experience your closeness. I want to experience your presence at the deepest level possible. I want to hear you say that there is mercy, not wrath. I want to participate in the church through prayer, through the feasting of his word. I want to move when you say move. God is calling us in, and he invites you in. Are you in today? Are you moving in with Jesus today? Thanks for listening and being part of our church and joining us in this journey to become down-to-earth people following Jesus in down-to-earth ways. Mm-hmm.